Augustine, bishop of Hippo in North Africa, once said in his great work, City of God, God gave no gift greater than grace. God gave no gift greater than grace. Grace of God is the greatest gift of all. Everything God does for us is by grace. Karl Barth, I hope some of you come to know my hero Karl Barth. Karl Barth also said that the laughter is the closest thing to the grace of God. Laughter is the closest thing to the grace of God. Grace of God gives us a greater and lasting laughter than all other gifts in the world. People say whoever laughs at the last wins. I think that's what Tom Brady is doing right now. Do you guys see the uh, Tom Brady celebration of a Super Bowl? You know, he's a teammate. They celebrated their first Super Bowl by roasting Tom Brady with his NFL scouting combine pictures. And let me show you what pictures, original pictures look like. Do you have that one? Yeah, that was a Tom Brady. Whoever imagined this is a very uh, normal looking average or even below average, you know, a football player will win seven Super Bowl championship, appearing 10 Super Bowl champ championship games. I think it's an unbreakable record. I'll be surprised. I don't think I will, I will see another one like a Tom Brady in my life. Sorry. You know, uh, uh, yeah, no one will come. He's not my favorite, but I have to buy. Well, anyway, so Tom Brady's, you know, a teammate, they are laughing at him, right? But guess who is laughing the most? That's a Tom Brady. You guys go ahead and laugh at me. I am laughing louder than anyone. Who is your daddy now? You know what? Grace of God will make us laugh longer and more glorious than Tom Brady because our victory in Christ is eternal and divine over sin and death. Hallelujah. God will make us, God's grace will make us laugh without end. In our study of the Gospel of Mark, We've been seeing grace of God in amazing act of Jesus. Today, in our fourth study of the acts of Jesus, we'll see amazing grace of Jesus made the people laugh exceedingly. Although it'll, make a, it'll take an eternity for us to understand the grace of God, today's drama of grace will help us see the three characteristics of God's grace. So let's uh, get on with our text, Mark chapter 7. Verse 31 to 37. Let me read. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through the Sidon and down to the Sea of Galilee into the region of Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Afata, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed 
with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf and the mute uh, deaf hear and the mute speak. Thanks be to God for his word and may God's word today open our hearts and mind to the greater truth of grace. Here we find the three characteristics of all surpassing grace of God in Christ. So, what's the context of today's story? Look at the verse 31. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through the Sidon and down to the Sea of Galilee, into the region of Decapolis. The Greek text actually says that and again, Tyre, uh, and again, leaving Tyre and Sidon, Jesus went to the Sea of Galilee into the region of Decapolis. And again means that today's story is connected to the previous story of Jesus who traveled to Tyre and Sidon. So let me show you the map of Jesus' travel. Do we have a map? Yes. Do you see Galilee? Do you see uh, Nazareth there? That's a Jesus' uh, hometown. Do you see the uh, Bethsaida? Oh, well, we, we missed the Capernaum is uh, nearby. The Capernaum. But Jesus went to Tyre and the west and the Sidon north. And then he came back to Galilee, but not to Galilee, but, but to the southeast of Galilee area called the Decapolis. As you can see, Jesus semi-circled the Galilee region from northwest to the south, uh, southeast in the distance of 120 miles. More importantly, the places that Jesus traveled were Gentile pagan territories. Now, look at me. Why? This was not Jesus taking a break from his ministry or a sightseeing tour. This was a very intentional tour. I might say it's a purposeful or theological tour. The first, so why? The first half of Mark chapter 7 describes an important debate between Jewish religious leaders and Jesus. That was, what is clean and what is not clean? Pharisees and scribes defined everything either clean or unclean according to Mosaic tradition. They were so OCD with a kosher food and kosher mentality that they created a false view of reality, especially the social reality. They divided the human being into clean people like them, Jews, and unclean people like the Gentiles. And here, Jesus made a radical declaration. If you look at the Mark chapter 7, verse 14 and 15, said this, Jesus said this. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone. Understand this. Nothing outside Outside a man can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of man that defiles them. Here, look at me. Jesus declares that food is not the problem. The real problem is the heart. There is no unclean food, but only unclean heart. Likewise, there are no unclean people or unacceptable people. God accepts everyone who confesses their unclean heart before him and the ones is a cleansing forgiveness. That's what led Jesus to this unprecedented tour in the Gentile pagan or unclean territory. Just like Galilee, 
Here, Jesus healed many sick people and cast demons. Mark actually recorded two healing stories here. And uh, by the way, uh, putting the two healing stories together, that's another unique rhetorical feature of a Gospel of Mark. Mark loves to give us so-called double healing stories, such as Jesus healing a woman suffers from the bleeding disease for 12 years and a 12-year-old daughter of a synagogue ruler named Zairus. And New Testament scholars call this sandwich storytelling. Why? Mark wants to maximize his theological point with a double miracle features. So today's story that we're going to look at a second miracle story that Jesus performed in Gentile area. The first story tells us how Jesus healed the demon-possessed daughter of a Syrophoenician woman. And I'm going to uh, come back to that story for Mother's Day. Today, we will see the second story of Jesus healing deaf-mute person in Decapolis. Decapolis literally means 10, Deca means 10, police city, 10 cities. 10 cities of what? These cities were where veterans of a Greek army who campaigned with Alexander the Great, they retired after and settled. So this is a predominant Greek pagan Gentile area. Jesus was here once before, if you look at the Mark chapter 5, when he healed a man possessed with a legion of demons. By the way, you make a connection. There are a lot of uh, old soldiers. There is better, you know, retired soldiers. And there's a legion of a demon. And then a man was possessed by a legion of demons and they lived among tombs in the area called the Gerasene. And that's a part of the Decapolis and Jesus healed him. Here we find the first characteristic of a grace of God. That is, grace of God is inclusive. Grace of God is inclusive. It's so broad. I call it pandemic grace. Pandemic grace. What does a pandemic actually mean? You know, pandemic is actually a Greek word. It's a combination of two. Pan means everything. You heard the pantheist, right? People who believe everything is God or whatever. Pantheist. Pan means everything. Demos came from, uh, demos means people. Demographic, you know, democracy. So, Pandemic literally means universal, everywhere, ubiquitous. That is what meaning of a pandemic. So I call it pandemic grace. Inclusive, intention. grace is an inclusive, intentional, and pandemic. That means universal. Everywhere people are, there is grace of God who wants to reach out to them and save and heal them. How about us? Just like the Jewish people, do we also divide people into our own categories of quote-unquote clean and unclean? We might not use the, uh, the, the, the Jewish language of clean and unclean, or we don't practice kosher food, nor we have a kosher spirituality, but don't we often keep this kind of a bifurcation social reality, keeping strangers as strangers, and get close only to the friends and familiar people? There is a one of the reasons, that's one of the reasons that we are committed to the house church ministry. Those of you new to our church, our you know, main, we have a two arms in our church. One arm is called the house church. 
weekly small group ministry, and the other one is our homegrown discipleship program called the Kushapra College. Now, house church help us to practice New Testament biblical evangelism of a friendship with a biblical hospitality. So during the Lent, our house church shepherds are reading and sharing every week a very great book. I found it called the Rosaria. Do I see? Link. Uh, Rosaria Butterfield's book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. So please pray for our shepherd and please ask them what they learn each week. I hope they share with you at your house church. And they, actually, this is a great book. It's a mostly her uh, life story, so it's easy to read, but it's a really convicting and almost, you know, guilt, you know, yeah, too much convicting. But so great that grace is a pandemic and inclusive means Jesus is an ultimate boundary breaker. If you look at this second half of Mark chapter 7, he crosses ethnicity, race, gender, and even religion. Jesus Christ, to our Lord, to him there are no unclean people. There are no unredeemable people because everyone is made in God's image. And God wants everyone to be saved and come to knowledge of a saving truth. So let us not forget that Jesus, that we confess as the Lord and Savior, is a boundary breaker and opened his heart to us, the Gentile, so the unclean people. Now let's see what happened in Decapolis. Verse 32, some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. I hope if you have a regular Bible, you know, uh, physical Bible, underline the word, could hardly talk. That is a very, uh, Greek word for that is a very special. I'll explain that later. They begged Jesus to place his hand on him. You know, according to uh, Matthew 15, which described this uh, uh, Jesus' ministry in this area, said this, uh, Matthew 15, 30, great crowd came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and lay them at his feet, and he healed them. And so while Matthew simply described the mass of sick people coming to Jesus and Decapolis, Mark focused on one particular sick person. Today's healing story, notice, is only written in the Gospel of Mark. What's the big deal about that? There are, many, there are not many unique content in the Gospel of Mark. 90% of Mark is the shortest Gospel in the New Testament. 90% of Mark is included in Matthew. So as you will see later, this is a significant event. Now, this man was a deaf and could hardly talk. That means he could have spoken a little. I mean, he, he could speak a little with a great struggle. He was probably not born as a deaf, but could talk before. Sometimes in the past, he lost his hearing abilities and that caused the speech you know, impediment. A commentator said that if the man had been born deaf and mute, he would not have learned to speak and would, would possess no concept of a language. That was not the case. He had become deaf later in life 
apparently as a result of a disease or injury and could speak only with a great effort. So, this is, by the way, also this is a first occurrence of the healing of that person in the Gospel of Mark. Now, what do you know about being deaf and mute? Anyone who tried to learn to speak a foreign language understand a little bit about the pain of being a deaf and mute. When I immigrated to Argentina at the age of 15, I heard Spanish and then I heard Spanish for the first time. I heard, I heard it basically like a deaf. A lot of a sound and ta 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 in between. That's what I heard. And uh, so when I complained about my difficulty to hear Spanish or Castellano, as the Argentinian says, my other Korean immigrant friends told me, about in six months, your ear, your ear will open and you will hear. I didn't know what they meant by my ear will open. But they were right. One day in six months, my ear opened. I could hear a full Spanish or Castellano sentence. Not just a few words here and there. Full sentence came to my brain. My hearing was healed. Now, when I came to United States at the age of 19, my English listening comprehension was not much of a problem, thanks to Spanish. You know, when you learn the one language, it's easier to learn another language in the same language family. But this time, problem was speaking, precisely pronouncing English, as you, some of you already noticed. Spanish does not have many sounds that English has. For instance, there is a no long vowel like a long A in Spanish. Patriot. Spanish, patriota. Agent in Spanish, agente. April in Spanish, abril. So, when, so you, you see the difference? So when I first went to drive in McDonald's and ordered my drink, large coke, in my Spanglish, they couldn't understand. I tried a few times. At the end, I ended up ordering medium coke. It went several months until one day they gave me a large drink. By the way, please do not make fun of someone who mispronounces English. Americans, we are children of an immigrant. When you be little foreigners speaking English, you are shaming your own parents and grandparents who intentionally became a deaf and mute for our sake when they came to this country. And also, we now are Texan by choice. Who are we to judge other people's pronunciation? We have our beloved Texan president who couldn't say nuclear, but only nuclear. You know, so please, Tex you know, you're from Texas. Don't judge other people's pronunciation. Now, more seriously, how do the deaf and the mute struggle with their disabilities? Helen Keller was born on June uh, 27, 1888. Contrary to popular belief, Helen Keller was not born blind nor deaf, 
but became disabled because of a sickness, disease that she had at the age of 19 months. So in spite of her obvious physical limitations, she worked hard uh, with the help of a great tutor named Miss Sullivan. And she became educated. And then she became eventually hero and champion for the cause of disabled people. And once Helen Keller was asked, which disability was worse, blindness or darkness? Deafness, blindness or deafness? And this is what she said. I'm just as deaf as I am blind. The problem of deafness are deeper and more complex, if not more important than those of blindness. Deafness is a much worse misfortune, for it means the loss of a most vital stimulus, sound of voice that brings a language, sets thought austere, and keep us in the intellectual company of a man. Blindness separates us from the things, but deafness separates us from people. Blindness separates us from things, but deafness separates us from people. Now, Helen Keller said, basically said, deafness means a relational disconnection and communicational blackout, whereas a blindness is a visual darkness. Now look at the way that Jesus received this deaf mute person. Verse 33, after he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into man's ears and then spit and touched the man's tongue. First, Jesus pulled him out of the crowd gave him a private audience. Here we begin to see the second characteristic of Christ's grace, that is, grace of God is a personal and individual. Jesus did not have a cookie cutter for his healing, even though he could have everybody at once at the same time. Jesus did not form an assembly line to heal masses. Jesus never healed a mass, but Jesus always heals individuals. Our Lord is not about being effective. He is much more emphatic with our struggles. That's what Jesus did next with a deaf-mute uh, person today. He put his fingers into man's ears, then spit his saliva in his fingers, and touched the man's tongue with his wet finger. Now, why did Jesus do that? Was this a necessary for healing? As you know, Jesus could heal many people simply with his word. For instance, when Jesus healed the daughter of a Syrophoenician woman in the previous healing story right before this one, Jesus was not even present with a girl. Jesus didn't see that girl. He healed her from distance. He cast her demon even in his physical absence. Why was Jesus making these strange gestures here? A Reformed theologian, Sinclair Ferguson, once said, Here, Jesus actually spoke to the sick man in the language he could understand. And the language he could understand is a sign language. And the William Lane, a very noted uh, Markan scholar, said this, Jesus took the man aside from the crowd in order to establish contact with him. He regarded the personal relationship between himself, the sick, to be of a supreme importance. 
And in this instance, all of his actions are intelligible in the light of a necessity of communicating with a person who had to learn to be passive in life. Through touch and the use of a spittle, Jesus entered into the mental world of the man and gained his confidence. I believe through his tactile act, Jesus was creating faith and hope in this man. He stretched open his ears and made it clear to him that he wished to make his tongue alive with his own life. Here, we must see that Jesus is not only boundary breaker, but also our Lord is our heart holder. He wants to touch our heart as much as He heals our body. The aim of His healing is our relationship with God, more than just our physical restoration. Because the body eventually breaks down, the spirit with God never breaks down. So finally, Jesus spoke and prayed for him. This is where we see the final characteristic of grace. So look at the verse 34. Jesus looked up to heaven with a deep sigh, said to the man, Ephata, Ephata, which means be open. At this man's ears were open, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. You know, Jesus not only spoke the sign language with his tactile gestures, but also he spoke what I call it sign language. Sign language. Here Jesus did the three things. First, he looked up to heaven. Why? Jesus was showing the man that he was talking to God, and the source of healing comes from God. He's not just a powerful healer, but Jesus was showing him he is a heavenly healer. And second, Jesus sighed deeply. The Greek word for sigh is translated in other biblical passages as a groaning, groaning or even moaning. And the Romans 8 is the most famous. In Romans 8, Paul repeated this language of sighing or groaning or moaning in verse 22, 23, and 26. And 22 the whole creation has been groaning or sighing as the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. That means creation groans and sighs for the effects of the fall of a sin and there's a redemption from bondage of decade. And the Romans 8.23, not only so we ourselves who gave the first fruit of the Spirit, who have the first fruit of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship and redemption of our body. We groan and sigh for full redemption of our, our, ourselves, including our bodies. When you take a cornerstone, you learn the full meaning. And finally, Romans 8.26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through the wordless groans. Wordless groans. The Holy Spirit sighs for us as he helps us in our weakness. So, Jesus sighing shows that the Lord expressed his strong emotion that he felt in the presence of the, the reality of a ravaged, 
ravages of the disease in a person. So Jesus was conveying through the sign. Jesus was really, Jesus wants that the, the deaf mute person to feel Jesus' anguish for him. You know, our God feels us. He knows our struggle. He's a fully human. He knows our limitation, our frustration. And finally, Jesus spoke, Ephata, Ephata. Be open. The act of healing was accompanied with a word of liberation. Not just his defective you know, auditory organs, but to his whole person. Be open. And the result of Jesus' healing are simple, you know, is the following. That the ears were open, tongue was loosened, man began to speak clearly. You know, uh, NIV translated that he spoke plainly, but actually Greek word for plainly is authors. Authors. From which we have orthopedic, orthodontist. You know, he starts speaking correctly. Correctly. The loosening of tongue followed immediately upon the opening of ears. This is a dream come, in dream come true sin and medical fantasy for the speech pathologist. We used to have two speech pathologists who moved away. I mean, who relocated because of job. But you know, this is a, their. This should be their promise. You know, passage in the Bible. But anyway. Before we go to the conclusion, we must note another unique and important fact in the Gospel of Mark. That is, Mark is the only Gospel writer who recorded the very language Jesus spoke, actually spoke, which was Aramaic. The common Hebrew, spoken Hebrew in the time of Jesus. On three occasions, Mark recorded the three famous Aramaic sayings of Jesus. First one is a talitakum in Mark chapter 5, 41, when Jesus raised the dead daughter of Osiris, which means little girl, I tell you, rise. And the second one is here in Mark chapter 7, Ephata, Ephata, be open. And the last one, anyone guess? Last Aramaic sentence, saying of Christ, it's a shout on the, his cry on the cross in the Mark 15, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did Mark record Jesus' own actual Aramaic words to his Roman audience who have no clue about the Aramaic language? Mark wants to convey vivid eyewitnessing account of Peter on this occasion. I believe Jesus, like many of us, when he's in deeply in, in you know, human language, his language is so limited. So when you are into the, the other reality of some kind of, you know, when you reach the limit of language, what language do you speak? You speak your mother tongue. The language you grew up, language you, you are so comfortable. I know three languages. And uh, for different occasions, I speak uh, three different languages. Because each language is different and captures different nuances. But when I'm in trouble, I speak uh, Korean. 
That's because that's my mother tongue. I said, I go. <laughs> that I go means that, oh my goodness, it's OMG, you know. <laughs> now, you learned the one Korean word today. I go. Anyway. Jesus, it reveals Jesus' uttermost human compassion, human and divine compassion. And here, Mark was the one. Mark is saying, "Why, you know, as I told you, Mark, Gospel of Mark is a gospel of action because he writes fast, shortest, and packed with the act of Jesus." But Mark wants his readers not to miss the divine accent of Jesus. Not only act, he want to see the acts of Jesus or action of Jesus, but he want to see here the accent, the heart accent of Jesus. When Jesus Ephata, be open with a deep sigh, our Lord is revealing to us is a grace, is an invincible and powerful, and is a compassion is from God, and that compassion cures the earth and is a brokenness. Jesus is a heavenly healer who fills our pain, sighs with us and for us, and shares our struggle and cures our whole person. So what does it mean? Therefore, confess your sickness, cry out your pains, and ask the Lord to sigh with you and heal your heart. Let me quick, let me go to the conclusion of today's healing story. Verse 36, Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. This Jesus command for silence is a scholars call the messianic secret. And uh, we will look at that. It's a full meaning next week. More important uh, uh, result is uh, verse 37 here. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. He has done everything well. The Greek word for well is a kalos. Kalos. Do you remember kalos? Beautiful, beautiful, attractive. Response of a people in Decapolis to Christ's healing was explosive, jubilant, exuberant praise of Jesus. These pagan gentle people praised Jesus. He has done everything beautifully. You know, initially I was going to entitle today's story doxology. That means uh, praise, you know, praise. Doxology in Decapolis. And we must remember here that such doxology about Jesus was heard in Decapolis for the first time in the Gospel of Mark. When Jesus healed many people in Galilee, people's reaction was not just positive. That's some negative and even skeptical. Some religious leaders said Jesus was performing with the power of the devil. So they cannot deny his miracle but they discredit his miracle. And then others were suspicious. Some of common people said, wasn't he a carpenter that we know or I used to hire? And some people said, I know his mother. He's the son of Mary. And some people said, don't we know his brothers and sisters? Jesus' miracle was received with a large grain of doubt and suspicion. But people of Decapolis, they praise him. 
he has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and mute speak. And uh, when Mark heard that, you know what Mark act, instantly connected this story, their, their praises? Mark connect their praises to prophecy about Isaiah. Because when you look at the Isaiah chapter 35, when Messiah comes, this is what happened. When Messiah comes, God told the Israelites to be strong, do not fear. Your God will come to save you. Then the eyes of blind be opened, the ears of deaf were unstopped. Then the lame leap like a deer and the mute, mute tongue shout for joy. That's what Mark is alluding. Now look at me. One more keyword here. You know, earlier in the Mark chapters uh, 1 verse 32, he described this a deaf person is a deaf and hardly could speak, right? The actually Greek word for the hardly could speak is a mogilaron. Mogilaron. And that's a very important word. And also, that's the old, uh, Mark chapter 1, uh, Mark chapter 7, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 7, 32, now 1, 32. Mark chapter 7, 32, that's the only time this word appeared in the New Testament. And it was appeared another time in the Old Testament. Where? Greek translation of Old Testament called the Septuagint. In the Isaiah 35, 6, we just read the mute tongue shout for joy. The word mute tongue is a mogilaron. So when Mark heard the praise of a people of a Decapolis, the Decapolis that Jesus made a, a, a deaf to hear and the mute to speak, Mark said, this is a prophetic fulfillment of God. He, is a, he wants to convey the, the divine identity and eschatological presence of God through Jesus. And then also, when Mark heard that he has done everything well, to Mark, that's an echo of Genesis 1.31. God saw all that he has made, and it was very good. In the story of a deaf mute of a Decapolis, Accents fall in the eschatological significance of Jesus. So this unit is the last, last, uh, uh, last sequence of miracle stories concerned about the question of identity of Jesus. Who is this man in the Gospel of Mark? Let me close our message with a, 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 a quote from Karl Barth. Karl Barth once said this, Grace and gratitude belong together like a heaven and earth. Grace evokes gratitude like a voice and echo. Gratitude follows a grace as a thunder follows a lightning. Grace, I love this part, create a laughter, liberated laughter. The grace of God is beautiful. It radiates joy and awakens humor. Praise the Lord. Now, are you laughing with a gratitude? Even though you're going through difficult time, but when you envision your life, is there laugh? Is there laughter in your heart? Are you praising God for seeking you 
intentionally, inclusively, proactively? And do you see him personally and profoundly sighing with you? And do you see him saving you powerfully with the invisible love? Let's pray.